<laughs> so how you been, Luke? Oh, low. Here we go. <laughs> you're in a dark place. I could tell you're in a dark place, Luke. I'm, bu- I'm buckling up. I mean, the whole world's in a dark place, really, if you stop and think yeah. about it. I don't want to stop and think about it. That's what's so sad. Everything is awful, Luke. Everything is awful. Should we like? Gotta, should we try to be positive? Not positive, but should we try to be hopeful? Should we try to yes. believe? Should we presume the good, believe in Christian hope, and say things can be better? And like, here's the heavy stuff. Or should we just be like, is is this the time for wailing and gnashing of teeth? Is this our? Uh, you know, I'm trying. To, I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't want to even make jokes about. It. I'm not jokes about this stuff, but I don't want to make jokes. Yeah. To try to like create a lighter mood because it all just yeah. feels so horrible. You know, the thing that feels so horrible about it is I feel like we're right back in, like, we haven't gone anywhere. Yeah. You know? Yep, I we was, haven't gone yep. anywhere. I was just, I'm thinking that. I was like, man, here we are again, about to have the same conversation about racism and white and um, white privilege and all this stuff and cops killing African Americans again and riots again. Like, it's, it's, so it happened on my birthday and I wasn't. I was on a ranch, right? So I didn't watch the news. I didn't find out till maybe two days later when YouTube, that was like the thing coming up constantly. And I was like, wait, what happened? Oh, the guy, the cop kneeled on his neck for over eight minutes and didn't think at any point, whoopsie, I shouldn't be doing this. And so I was like, wow, this is going to get real ugly. Because there's only, you know, and I just go back to that propaganda line. It's a shame no one listens until someone throws a Molotov cocktail, right? Like, ugh. I there was an article I read by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that really oh that was awesome. opened my eyes. Where you know he talked about how probably what a lot of white people across the country were horrified by what they saw, and they were like aghast. I think perhaps was the words that he used. I'm paraphrasing here, but then black people were angry. They were angry because like again, you know, and I, I just I, I want to say. A couple things. I'm trying to not be like angry here. This is just some of my reflections. So I'm just gonna can I just start the word vomit here, and and we're just gonna go. Yeah. So racism is nothing new to post enlight. I mean, it's just to the world, especially you know post the Enlightenment. You have social Darwinism and all this stuff, and you have eugenics, and you know, and it goes even above and beyond and past that. You know, it's been a, it's, it is an ugly one of the ugly stains of original sin is racism. But it's interesting, you know, like it, I think that America. What I love about America is that America is an idea. It is a it is both her blessing and her and her curse. We are one of the few countries. Purely built upon an idea. Even uh, the French, who you know, prize their freedom and all that stupid stuff that has um, ruined everything there. Um, they were still the French before that. There's still French um, culture that existed before that. And um, in and in America, in terms of the European individuals who lived in America, obviously there's a whole Native American stuff, which is a whole problem. And in, in a, in and of itself, but let's just not open up that can of worms right right now. Um, it was always an idea. It was uh, it was since the beginning. It's been the city on the hill, 
and it will never be able to live up to to that to that ideal. But she strives for it anyways because it's what she does. And I love that about America. There's this grit, can do attitude that like, f yeah, we put like we 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 put a man on the moon. You know, like it's it's awesome. Um, but you know, you go back 100 years. You know, Gomer, we both we both have Irish, and. Um, in us, and yeah, they're right. they're you know now not on the level of black people, um, but um, you know the Irish uh, were horribly discriminated against. Um, some were even made slaves. Uh, the um, Italians were the Polish. You know that like almost every ethnic group besides white Protestants have been persecuted in America at some point in time. By far, the worst group has been. Black Americans, but almost every other group besides besides Native Americans, it's kind of over with. Kind of, not you know, but like you don't hear people, you don't hear people being like, you know, it's the stupid Guineas, you know, or like something like you know, see that's I shouldn't say yeah. that word, but like you know, like there's you know, we don't hear. You don't hear the ethnic slurs yeah, of, of other, even that our grandparents. But maybe, have. maybe yeah. the exception of the Jews, but really, I mean, they're going after. E- uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's not. I, I don't know how true that is. I think dropping n bombs and stuff has become such a part of their culture that they've adopted to drain the poison, you know, within the word that it's more common. But you know, if you live. If you live in the in the barrio, like you're you're probably hearing a lot of crap that me and you just wouldn't hear. No, it's true. You know? But like, but we don't have the Italian omni. We like we don't have uh, we don't have the segregation that we had chosen up segregation that we had. You know, even um, even like fifty years ago. You know, so we see this in our in our all different archdiocese. The archdiocese here in Cincinnati, I believe, we just closed one of the last European. Um, ethnic churches in the archdiocese. It actually was a, it was a um, Lithuanian church, and they still had masses in you know um, Lithuanian and all this stuff. And they just closed it. There's still I know there's one church out in Cincinnati that has mass in um, in German still, but it's more of like a novelty than I think it is a practicality. Like 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 those walls have um, have they have broken down. And you know we're not being held back because of the Irish. And you know I'm I'm so Ohio that I have family who's been in Ohio since we think the late um, 1600s. So like that's, that's how Ohio. Yeah, that's that how Ohio, Ohio. Yeah, it's really. But oh. yeah, I know. But um, you know, but uh, when it comes to a lot of those almost Central and Eastern European countries here in America, for the most part, you just don't have th- th- you know the racism that we had. In the past, that is not true for black people in the slightest. There's still major segregation, and it's it's to me. Sorry, this is this is a bit of a rant. I'm gonna try to I'm, I'm gonna try to unwrap this up here, but this is just this is what's been. I've thought I've thought a lot about this. Um, like how many black people were at Steubenville? We can probably count on like two hands out of 2,300 um people. Why is that? Like, why are we like, why are most Catholics white in this in this country? Or I'm sorry, why are why are most um, Catholic, ca- most of the Catholic groups are predominantly white? 
your conferences are predominantly white. Your books are made are written by predominantly white white authors. The majority of our friends are all predominantly white. If you wanted to have an African American on our show to really, you know, to, uh, to talk about this, we have about three different people that we could ask, and that's it. Um, even though this is a group that has been here for you know almost the quite oh, literally the entire history of this country. There's this um, a separation still, and there's this um, um, wealth gap there that doesn't exist. You don't have that with, like, Italians and Polish people on the level that you do white and blacks. Right, right. And to me, like, I see that. I'm like, that's the, um, that's the, that is evidence of the systematic racism that we are experiencing here that I don't think a lot of Catholics want to come to terms with. And that's what I find to be frustrating. And and I still am trying to come to terms with it. Like what we said, this is the problem. Like I have all my collected thoughts and my thoughts are, you know, when you were seeing the Irish need not apply signs and all that stuff, for the most part, you just shut your mouth and you hid your faith and you could blend in. In a lot of ways. Not in every way, but in a lot of ways. And that is categorically denied to African Americans. They can't just fake being, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, and what they really mean to say is I'm Catholic. Or, oh, yeah, I'm Irish. And they're like, oh, I'm Gaelic, you know, or something like that, where they try to play it down in order to get the jobs, in order to get by, in order to chase after the American dream. And then you see all this stuff. And so we were explaining it to our kids today because we've had some issues in our neighborhood with now all this stuff boiling over. And, you know, uh, I'm going to use a really stupid analogy for all my nerd friends out there. There was a whole season, and this is, this. I'm, <laughs> I feel stupid even saying it, of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> right? Did you see all the all the seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a season where towards the end, they're the the humans are occupied by the Cylons, right? And this guy who was the master chief who command, you know, he was Tyrol or whatever his name was. Eventually, he says, you know, he he encourages people to become suicide bombers and do all this stuff in their in their little rebellions against the the overlords. And he had this impassioned speech where he says, sometimes when the 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 wheels of history are against you you throw yourself on the wheels to stop the to stop the gears from spinning and uh that wasn't just him talking about suicide but that was him talking about like the reason why we take up arms the reason why we fight the reason why and you know i don't i don't condone the destruction of private property and i hate i hate reading the kareem abdul jabbar piece Right, he's like everyone's sitting there, and they look at that guy being choked to death, and they're like, "Oh my god, like this is horrific." Whereas black folk are getting angry, right? That's the difference. It's like we're like shocked, and they're like, "Here we go again, push mm-hmm. on repeat." Here we go again. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife was telling me a story of uh, a woman's married, a uh, white woman's married to a black man, and she'll get pulled over, and the cop will just be like, "Ma'am," like when they're driving or with their kids in the car. And they'll pull him over, and the cop will see the kids in the car, will see her in the passenger seat, and he'll just pull her over and be like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you, do you need to leave this situation? She's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm fine. 
But he's like, obviously, why would you be with this black guy? Like, we suspect he's a criminal and kidnap you. And she's like, my kids are in car seats in the back seat. Like, what the heck are you talking about? So for us, it's like, it's so hard to watch this. Because it is insane. The riots, the violence. Because we all know that there are opportunists who come into these things. And they're here to get something for free. But there are other, like, there is this element where, I mean, last week in our overly catechetical piece, well, we talked about anger, right? It is easy to be angry. It's hard to be angry at the right object for the right reasons. But there is his whole thing is like, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, yeah, like what happens when the cauldron boils over? Sometimes it explodes. And this is what you're watching when it explodes. My problem is it's not that we agree that that stuff was wrong. I think we I think most people will agree with it. Some people will rush to defend the cops at all costs. But I think some people will, like, just look at the video and be like, oh, my gosh, this is horrific. And so the idea of, like, I don't condone the violence and police have a right. So this is the the oscillating point. Police absolutely have a right, have a duty to protect the businesses where these protests are taken care of. But everyone wants to blame the cops for the escalation of violence. We know there are opportunists in every crowd that they don't, they're not there for Black Lives Matter. They're there to hurt and cause destruction. And there's a, I, I think a understandable component of, I mean, if we if we did it at the Boston Tea Party, if we do it after sports games where the hometown team wins, why is it that all of that is like, oh, ridiculous? But when this happens, it's like, it's hurting your cause, you know? I think there's an element of justifiable rage that tends to spill over in violence. But there's and there's opportunists who just want the violence and they don't care about the issue. But like in it all, also there are there is the the constant conversation around the militarization of the police, right? And their response is full riot gear and batons. If you are married to a police officer and you hear that a Black Lives Matter protest is coming to your town. You probably want your husband to be wearing full riot gear, right? You you don't want your husband to be walking out there dressed like officer friendly. You want him dressed like GI Joe. And so then like I was reading a bunch of articles in the New York Times getting their kind of side of things and it was like and and Vox and it was a, a couple others, I can't remember. But their their whole spin is like cop like the chants are like the cops are the ones who escalated. And this is the part where I have, like, that cop kneeling on that person's neck was wrong. The fact that there's elements where he, you know, if there wasn't a camera, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it's almost like we should have a body cam on every black person, not on every cop. And so you begin to, like, build this thing, and you're like, "I I can understand the violence, though I condone it or condemn it. And then I can understand the police force being in force to protect. Because if you show up at a riot and you're some snot-nosed 19-year-old who's just there to cause trouble and you're not there because you support the riots and the protests, seeing a bunch of cops with tear gas canisters, this is going to make you maybe uh, change your tone. It might make you more excited, but I think most of the the idiots would be like, yikes. It's just... It sucks because like we're, the bottom line is we're, we're also not experts in any of this. Nor are the vast majority of people who have an opinion on this. So it it is hard. Yeah. But I've seen things to talk about how post the Iraq and Afghanistan war, there's been a very sharp increase in the militarization of the police and what they have access to and what they bring to these things. And yeah, you know, in Dayton, 
there was some issues where definitely the crowd started doing stuff on the first, but the police came on ready to shut down a riot that wasn't going on. And then when stuff started getting bad, it was like boom. It's just like bring the hammer down, and it was like, like did you does and like I I I do understand what you're saying by. Um, you know, if you have a husband who is, or if you have a wife who is a police officer, you want them to be as guarded as they can be during and during a riot like this, so they don't get hurt. But does it need to be at the level that it is? Is there See, some? That, is there yeah, some? Is there some middle know. ground where it's you know, like um, you're not just like a guy with a hat? You know, like I think the English have actually done a very good job of this if you pay attention to so um back in the 19 i mean like here's this other thing too that 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 i that i also think is just kind of hard um riots are like an american pastime (laughs) and like yeah and it's so and there's always this thing of like i'm shock when it does happen i'm like i mean this is like this is as like as american as apple pie almost (laughs) like like Mm -hmm. we've had i mean it's just been from the beginning i mean they when they would tar and feather people, that was horrific. Yeah, it it killed people. Like you poured hot, like hot tar, tar yeah. like that would boil people's skin. They would be alive and it would boil their skin, and then throw feathers on them, and they would probably burn to death, pretty much. You know, like and it was it was a riot that would bring you know it's it's horrible thing like you know and that's that's what our country came out of the, you know that stuff. I mean, there are people who condemn that like John Adams. He defended the British officers during the Boston Massacre. All this, you know, a thing that we kind of say is you know a very important part in um, the Revolutionary War was a horrific thing that like the crowd instigated these almost soldiers to fire. Like it's you know uh, Kent State. They were they were throwing snowballs at them. Uh, Kent State, same thing. Read, read all of the testimonies from that. It's a mess. It's not as clear cut as the National Guard killed these college kids. It's very like, it's a mess. It's a and that you know, like, did you see the video of the uh, SC, police SUVs driving through the crowd? Uh, yeah, I I've, I really haven't had a ton of time to watch a lot of stuff specifically, and yeah. I've been kind of a I just I haven't had it, but I saw I saw a link to it enough times to know what what happened so so one cop car drives up and immediately they're throwing crap a whole bunch of people have some sort of physical thing that they're pushing up against the front of the cop car and a bunch of them come to like stop the cop car right so their hands are on whether it's the grill or this thing that they're using as like a makeshift barricade and they're throwing all sorts of crap at the window at the you know top of the cop car i think I think maybe even it knocked off one of the lights or something on, on the roof. And then another cop car uh, SUV comes along and it's like, screw this. I'm not letting these protests stop me. And he just goes and he slows down, but he's not in any way, shape or form stopping. And as he's going around, his cop buddy then guns it. And there's, all, I mean, there's dozens of people all there and they can't, some can't get away because there's another cop car coming at him in this way. And you're sitting there and like, I feel like, like I keep saying to myself, put yourself in the mind of the protester, put yourself in the mind of the cop. And that's the part that makes this so damn difficult is to be a police officer means you have put yourself on the front line of civil order. And because you are choosing to do that, there are elements of a civilian population like their job is to protect the protesters. 
right? We can't forget that either. Like their job is to protect the protesters. And the moment we reduce every protester individual to the violent people rooting, looting a uh, target, that's where I think you're building this mentality. Oh, they're all a bunch of... Like, it's not our, our only option. Like, we keep arguing as if, like, either Black Lives Matters or it's Blue Lives Matters. And I'm like, or the you police. can yeah. be both. And the answer isn't all lives matter. I didn't want to come, and I don't want to be here. I'm the son of an Atlanta City police officer. Um, my cousin is an Atlanta City police officer, and my other cousin, East Point police officer. And I got a lot of love and respect for police officers, down to the original eight police officers in Atlanta that even after becoming police had to dress in a YMCA because white officers didn't want to get dressed. And here we are 80 years later. I watched a white officer assassinate a black man. And I know that tore your heart out. And I know it's crippling. And I have nothing positive to say in this moment because I don't want to be here. But I'm responsible to be here because it wasn't just Dr. King and people dressed nicely who marched and protested to progress this city and so many other cities. It was people like my grandmother, people like my aunts and uncles who were members of SCLC and NAACP, and in particular, Reverend James Orange, Mrs. Alice Johnson, and Reverend Love, who we just lost last year. So I'm duty-bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. It is time to beat up prosecutors you don't like at the voting booth. It is time to hold mayoral offices accountable, chiefs and deputy chiefs. Atlanta is not perfect, but we're a lot better than we ever were, and we're a lot better than cities are. I'm mad as hell. I woke up wanting to see the world burn down yesterday because I'm tired of seeing black men die. He casually put his knee on a human being's neck for nine minutes as he died like a zebra in the clutch of a lion's jaw. And we watch it like murder porn over and over again. So that's why children are burning to the ground. They don't know what else to do. And it is the responsibility of us to make this better right now. We don't want to see one officer charged. We want to see four officers prosecuted and sentenced. We don't want to see targets burning. We want to see the system that sets up for systemic racism burnt to the ground. And as I sit here in Georgia, home of Stevens, Georgia, former vice president of the Confederacy, White man said that law, fundamental law, stated that whites were naturally 
the superior race. And the Confederacy was built on a cornerstone. It's called a cornerstone speech. Look it up. The cornerstone speech that blacks would always be subordinate. That officer believed that speech because he killed that man like an animal. In this city, officers have done horrendous things and they have been prosecuted. This city's cut different. In this city, you can find over 50 restaurants owned by black women. I didn't say minority and I didn't say women of color. So after you burn down your own home, what do you have left but char and ash? Like there's like this is the thing that real likes. So well, let's let's continue. I'm talking about this, and then I want to get a little bit more into the Catholic response to this because there's a person, there's some people I think who kind of um, need to check their privilege for a bit, and I I I know how I know that makes people cringe, but I don't care because it's a little ridiculous. There there's got there it there's a better way to handle this. You keep beating people down. Like, we don't have to worry about if we go, um, like, I was talking to a um, black friend of mine who said, that, you know, if I, he's like, I'm, I can't go out on a jog in a black hoodie and pull out my cell phone because people will think it's a gun. Mm. You know? And, like, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. I'm going to, if I run through, there isn't one neighborhood that I'm going to run through and people are going to be scared of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it's, there. I can go anywhere I want in this country, a podcaster, and go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no one's going to be scared. Yet, I guarantee you, if a black person were to run through my neighborhood, people are, heads are going to turn. I, I, I would almost be positive that the cops would stop him, or you know, especially if in, uh, if it was a man. Yeah, I mean, it is the, the disproportionate amount of now. There are other um, factors in this. Um, you know, um, Dane is a very black city. People drive through here. But, like, there's such a disproportionate amount of blacks who are pulled over in my town compared to whites that it's, like, shocking. I mean, it's, it is sh- – but, like, how is it in a country um, like America, you could still have a town um, like mine where when I was in high school, um, 97% of the people who lived here were white. What does that tell you? And, like, this is a more a wealthy – this is a more um, wealthy area that somehow we have, we, you know, we um, have a race here that doesn't have access to that kind of wealth. That in an area I'm like Dayton, which is very, I'm a 50, 50, I think when it comes to blacks and whites, all the whites I'm live in the Southern part of the city and all of the blacks I'm live downtown and North. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And I like it. This there's a reason why this is there's and um, I don't know I don't know if you still want to talk about the riots before I get into more of the systematic part of this but there's no I don't I don't know enough I don't know enough I just know that like I mean so I this is this is the tension that I don't think we can leave right there are very strong evidences that in American society we have not racially improved in 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 many markers that you would think. Yes, African Americans have more access to jobs and healthcare and all this stuff, but they're also than they were, you know, in the 1950s or whatever. But then there are these other markers that seem to come out that deny, right, these cases of of the you know the African American, the average African American male having the same access to things, not the same end results, 
but the access to the opportunities, right? And that's the thing that people keep coming to is, is this a denial? Are we focusing on an inequality of outcome, right? That's the more liberal thing. We should all, there's, there's the sameness, this false dream uh, of sameness that they gravitate towards. But you have to back it down the stack and say, where, where does access fall apart? You know, and a lot of it is around poverty. And then you ask the follow-up question, are we keeping them poor? Right. It, w- what series of decisions, conscious and unconscious, that are keeping people on the quote unquote when, we, you know, the phrase the wrong side of the tracks doesn't mean you're on the rough part of town. Right. It means you on the wrong part of town. Right. Like and just what you were saying, I'm sure there's probably a street in the middle of your town that separates the communities, you know, and there's probably some gradient there and some overlap there. But for, I mean, I grew up in a working class neighborhood and there was one black family that I know that was in my whole neighborhood, right? It is, it is, it's still in a lot of ways still segregated. This is why history matters because it's, they, it's an, it's an organic building block in a lot of ways that both, um, it, it grows and it contracts. Okay, so so for example, the old story is like what's what is really great about America is you could come here with like five cents and become a millionaire. That was yeah. that was possible. Now it's not going to be easy. It's very like bootstrap. That's why we have that we have that a mentality here to a fault that actually hurts us. We've, we've talked about that at like at length. Yeah. But the group that was, you know, that was probably held back the most from that were, was, and continues to be the black community. One, so even though, like, both of our families, I know that, like, your dad, he grew up extremely poor. Um, my, you know, like, uh, like, on my mom's side, definitely like middle, like middle to up, like uh, they were a, a middle to up, like middle class. Um, but like you know, came from very humble backgrounds. Each of my grandparents, you know, were from a small town in Ohio where everyone's a factory worker because that's yeah. all that there was. Got to make them Callahan brake pads. Yeah, no, Callahan exactly. Bell um, Fountain, yeah. Ohio, and um, but <laughs> like you are able to build small increments of wealth that pass on from you in like that go from like one yeah, generation to wealth. the next, which yeah. is when you have people like us who could then go home at 25 and be fine, you know, like where, which, which, which was actually very oh, common. Sweet, sweet nerd. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. like, I mean, that was actually very common back in the 1800s. Everyone was just yeah. poor. And so it was like, yeah. this is, of course you did it. Cause everyone, um, everyone um, lived together. It was like all, all of those boomers that get angry at like, you know, all the millennials who moved back. I'm like, this is what it used to be like all the time for hundreds <laughs> of years. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but my point is look at, I believe it was in um, Tulsa where you had a black community that was extremely economically advanced, had their, had their own on um, wall street, pretty much, only built like you know they were this really um, they had a great economy there the whites got angry and they destroyed everything between the 1870s and the beginning of world war one black pioneers settled more than 100 all-black towns in the west each with the goal of economic independence 
among the most well-known was a black district in Tulsa, Oklahoma, known by its residents as Greenwood. If we were to go back in time to 1920 and walk up and down Greenwood Avenue, one thing that would probably strike us is the absolute variety of businesses. The numbers are astonishing. 30 restaurants, 45 groceries and meat markets. There were dry goods stores, milliners, a photography studio, dental offices. Greenwood is no longer called Greenwood. It's now known as Black Wall Street. This whole idea of self-containment really existed there. The dollar would stay in that community sometimes over three, five years before it ever went outside of the community. They actually were like, they shot people. For, I mean, they like went in and just, I believe it was in, um, I think it's um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. They just um, leveled this whole um, part of town and it ruined it. And so you have a... so 99 years ago today, America was shaken by one of its deadliest acts of racial violence. It is horrific. Yikes. It is basically... Uh, it, 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 and I'm like the Tulsa race massacre. Yeah, it is. I'm from Tulsa. I never even it's, heard of it's, this. It's, it is atrocious. And it's one of the worst things that has ever happened. And that's what systematic racism comes from. Because you've taken an entire I'm a group of people and you've said, fuck you. You can't get anywhere now over the next hundred years. Like, we're not going to let you yeah. do it. We just took away all of your wealth. We just took any hope that you have of building a better life, you know, for yourself, your kids, your, and you know, um, your grandkids. And we just set them back one, 100 years. In 1919, black soldiers returned from world war one with high expectations for racial progress at home. But in one city after another, White mobs erupted in violence, targeting black veterans, citizens, and businesses. Hundreds died. On Tulsa's Black Wall Street, African Americans, including armed veterans, watched nervously and prepared for what might come. Countering this white militancy is very much an African American spirit of, we're gonna defend ourselves. The mob comes, we're not gonna run, we've got our guns and we're gonna protect ourselves. And that was especially important and valuable and potent in Greenwood. On May 30th, 1921, the mob came to Greenwood. This white woman is in an elevator and this black teenager allegedly whistles at her or talks to her. He is taken to jail. A mob gathers of whites and blacks, and blacks in Tulsa are armed. They take their Second Amendment rights seriously, and they come with guns. And this is a threat. Someone fires into the crowd, and the riot is born. This was not about the whistling boy in the elevator. This was about blacks becoming too economically powerful and showing that wealth in a way that anyone would, by creating buildings and constructing churches and having property. There was a, a whistle that blew, and then the mass invasion and the destruction of Greenwood began. When the smoke cleared in the early morning of June 1st, 1921, 
Black Wall Street lay in ruins. This is by far the largest single incident of racial violence in all of American history. That's what systematic racism does because it builds up and then this continual animosity between these two groups, it it prevents this group from being able to thrive, advance, grow, like all these things that we just think that we can do, they were denied and so they're set back and they are held down and then they become the other in this like society where then they become the part of town where you're scared to go to and they don't move to your suburban area because they can't, they can't afford to. So all of your church resources then that are going to like serve, like um, serve on these suburban areas can't go into the city and they can't observe this group. That's only there because their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents were lynched. If they walked on the wrong side of the street, that's what systematic yeah. racism does. It like, like when you experience racism and when, and when you're and when you're really poor, it actually like ru- and like it ruins your life. It's not just an. I mean, it like it destroys the quality of life. It just which is why people turn to like alcohol and to drugs because they're 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 dying inside. And we've and we treat like I just get so mad about this because it like it's not. Like just because like um just because you don't see it and you don't experience it doesn't mean that it isn't real or it does or it you know hasn't happened. I have never lived under a communist regime. Thank God. I have never done that. But it has absolutely happened. And it continues to happen right right now. But just because it hasn't happened to me doesn't mean it's not happening to other people or I don't really understand it. If you can't tell, I get a little angry about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't haven't seen that. But this yet. is why I get re- so sorry. Can I just say one no, thing? No, no, no. Sorry, yeah, go, go. No, no, please go, go. Because I, I let's let's keep talking. Then I want to talk about the Catholic Church and this. So you said uh, you you had <laughs> when you brought this up. So I started reading while you were talking to learn about this. Her the Greenwood District, yeah. In the 1920, well, if we prepare, maybe I there have was nothing. To say. This uh, in the 1920s, ruin the, the Greenwood. The Greenwood District was dubbed Black Wall Street as a community boasted more than 300 black-owned businesses, including two theaters, doctors, pharmacists, and even a pilot who owned his own private airplane. So you got to think, in the 1920s, that is huge. Yeah. I believe they uh, so shot this- people from the sky during, during this thing. It's where the scene in um, Watchmen comes from. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, which I haven't seen, but... How dare these Negroes have a grand piano in their house, and I don't have a piano in my house. That was one of the lines. A girl named Sarah Page, a 17-year-old, she worked an elevator. He tripped and fell coming off the plane or off the elevator, grabbed her arm. She screamed. And then a bystander just turned and ran to the police, said he attacked her. He attacked her, became he raped her. She never filed charges. They did. And then the white mobs stormed Greenwood on May 31st. Holy... Crap. Yeah, it's horrible. It's 25 square blocks were burned and over 1,200 houses destroyed. They destroyed an entire people, an entire economy, an entire way of life. They destroyed it because they were scum, racist bigots. Like, it's awful. Like, it's, and, and again, like this stuff. 
like that's 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 an that's an extreme example of that but you do have these um um and it sucks because i feel like people just can't stand certain people on the left so there are terms that i'm going to use that are going to make people on the roll their eyes but this is just the best way to explain it you have like you have these micro aversions of that that have happened you know post like when these people were all locked up you know and like um, let's not uh, forget that when they were all when they were um all when when the civil war ended they just became like we, we, didn't, we didn't give them anything to help them out we weren't doing anything to say okay now let's um help you build a life now it was like good luck oh and by the way we're gonna um, with the south just like run everything now so enjoy the next hundred years bye and like one of the most dangerous um, parts of all, of, like the, one of the most dangerous parts of reconstruction was the attitude of poor white people towards blacks. Because all of a sudden they went from being their like superior to their equal and they couldn't stand that. Where does it come from? All this hatred. You know, when I was a little boy, there was an old Negro farmer who lived down the road from us, named Monroe. And he was, uh, <laughs> I guess he was just a little luckier than my daddy was. He bought himself a mule. That was a big deal around that town. Now, my daddy hated that mule. Because his friends were always kidding him about, oh, they saw Monroe out plowing with his new mule, and Monroe was going to rent another field now they had a mule. And one morning, that mule just showed up dead. They poisoned the water. And after that, there was never any mention about that mule around my daddy. Just never came up. One time we were driving down the road and we passed Monroe's place and we saw it was empty. He just packed up and left, I guess, going up north or something. I looked over at my daddy's face. And I knew he'd done it. And he saw that I knew. He was ashamed. I guess he was ashamed. He looked at me and he said, if you ain't any better than a nigger, son, who are you better than? You think that's an excuse? No, it's not an excuse. It's a story about my daddy. Where's that leave you? It's an old man who was just so full of hate that he didn't know that being poor was what was killing him. I mean, for people who don't know, the lead-up to the Civil War... Right. Like part of the argument against freeing slaves, because so many American statesmen felt it is irreconcilable to have our declaration of independence and still have slaves. You know, if, if we threw out the tyranny of Britain, you know, and they felt it. And so they made their excuses. And one of the excuses was if the black man is not enslaved, then the white then what will keep the white man to feel superior and that was repeated over and over and over again. And it's terrifying. 
So here's a line uh, from U.S. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma in 2018 said, Oklahoma schools did not talk about it. In fact, newspapers didn't even print any information about the Tulsa race riot. It was completely ignored. It was one of those horrible events that everyone wanted to sweep under the rug and ignore. And here's the deal. This is the part that, like, that you need to acknowledge is you could because they're black. Right? Like, you could, to, the day after the May 31st race riot, you could have gone about your day almost as if nothing had happened. Once the smoke cleared. Mm-hmm. If you were white and you didn't go to the green, green, uh, what is it called? I'm going to get the name right. Greenwood District, Black Wall Street, Greenwood District. You could literally, this wouldn't have affected you at all. And so you start to think about that and it's like, I was raised in Oklahoma. We did the Sooner Land Rush every year. I never once heard about this. Mm -hmm. I've never once heard about this until Watchmen came out. Now now that you're saying that, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and how many people are are aware of the amount of African American, oh, the amount of um, black people that died during um, the um, the draft rides during the Civil War, where they were um, lynched out, you know, in and out in like New York and out in cities across the country. I mean, we're not that again. Like my dad saw fountains in North in 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 like um, North Carolina when. When his when his, when his parents um moved there for a bit, that was they still had um drinking fountains for whites only. Like that's my dad. Like that's not that we're not that far removed from all this stuff. And that like there's a there's a consequence to that. And like you know again history um like history um builds upon that. Like there's this great um there's this really there's this great propaganda line where he's like yeah we're mad at Planned Parenthood too. But why weren't you at Selma? You know, like, like why are why are we expected to come to all of your 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 stuff? Like, do you know who's a really like really against Planned Parenthood or has actually called them out in their songs? Killer Mike in Run the Jewels. Oh, okay. And that's a big that's a big um that's a big like rap group that all the kids like. They've got a great song with uh, Zach with Zach um, De La Roach that you would like. Yeah, we. Yeah, we talked about it. We um, talked about that. It, like, there's there's anger in the black um, community against Planned Parenthood because their founder was freaking evil and hated black people. There's there's yeah. anger there, but the pro life movement doesn't like. They want to like they want to um, talk about that, but they don't want to like stand with the black community. You know, like I was so mad at um, Lila Rose. I'm sure she's a nice person. I know her ex fiance. He was a he was a buddy of mine out in Denver. I've heard good things about her, but she had this tweet that I thought was so insensitive and just wrong, where she said, um, "How are Black lives going to, going to matter until we you know when, when you have like abortion that uh, you know kills X amount of like X amount of like Black people every year?" Which I totally agree with, but I'm like, this yeah. has been a problem for hundreds of years before Roe v. Wade. Like, don't co-opt this for your freaking movement. And I'm all about it. I love what you're doing. Like, keep doing it. This is great. But, like, this is, this is, like, this is, like, abortion, in my opinion, is not the root of all evils here in this country. It is a symptom, as is racism. 
And I actually think um, racism is the is like a more fundamental a more problem because we don't think human life actually matters because it's whatever we make it um, to be. Like I'm starting to become of the opinion that I, like I put a racism on par with abortion and pornography and all of these things. And I'm, I'm ready to start drawing like other lines where, um, if there are people in my life who are holding on to racist views, I'm just going to cut them out. It, it, I think it needs to be that serious where, um, you know, if like you had an uncle who came to, who um, came to Thanksgiving at your house and he made jokes about his, you know, porn business, you would say, stop, or you have to go. You know, you know, like, right? You wouldn't want your kids, your, um, your um, kids uh, to see that. It's that serious. Like, that's yeah. what the bishops, the people we're supposed to be submitting to, but we don't because we're a bunch of bitches, like, doesn't want, like, like, are saying this is evil. This is a fundamental evil within our country that we have to, that we have to address. And... I'm like, we need, like, it needs to be that serious where we're like, if there are people in my life that are going to hold on to like racist views that are not going to acknowledge these, these things and therefore make it worse, do I want them in my life? Well, I think you make a really good point that I never considered because the problem with all of this stuff is there's no good solutions that make sense because I can say to you right now, um, you know, we have institutional racism. What we need to do is get people black, you know, people of color in positions of power so that we can help correct these things. And a guy will tell me, listen, uh, uh, my company sends me to go to colleges and universities. And they say, you're allowed to interview white people if you want to, but we will not hire a single one. Like, you know, the whole affirmative action debate that constantly goes back and forth. This guy's like, listen, I'm not joking. We are not allowed to hire white people. So what do we do? We pick a bigger category of, whereas in, before we'd only take the 95 and up crowd, now we're going to take nine, you know, people who make 90s and up. And so people who aren't qualified for their job get the job, right? And you've heard that debate a trillion times. It's no longer meritocracy, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is, like, when you do, like, prison ministry and you see the things that I've seen and you've heard their stories, you realize, like, like these people were set up for failure. Not these people like every like the the men in the prison, whether they're, you know, poor whites or whatever, they were set up for failure. And then when you just step back and you begin to look at like red light um red districting, you begin to look at how people of color are kept in certain neighborhoods. It does like there's only so long of denial. Like you and I can we can look at every individual th- scene and say, oh, maybe Michael Brown did go for the officer's gun and the officer was justified. You know, maybe X, Y, or Z. Maybe the kneeling on the neck is a standard submission hold and he just did it for too long or wasn't aware there were other complications. Or like the county coroner saying, oh, no, it was really because the guy had methamphetamine in his system and had a coronary issues. That's what killed him. And the independent coroner said, uh, no, it was asphyxiation. Did you know that? Two medical reports came out. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've heard there were some, yeah. So, but you begin to say this, but the, like the idea is once you begin to just step back and add up the similar stories that constantly come out, you e- even though more whites are killed by cops than black men, it's something completely different. White men are killed by cops 
not because they're white. It's because they're, number one, there's more of us, and we're doing crazy things. See, that's the privilege of being in a majority country. I can look at Luke and think of Luke as an individual, but when I look at a black man, oftentimes I put him in the category of black men, right? And then when you see, and it doesn't have to be a, you know, a black man. It can be any minority that you create. Like in Oklahoma, I was a radical minority known as Roman Catholic. And people put us in the, and so you, I got this tiny ridiculous little taste of it where people would put you into this category and they did every bad thing I did, I would hear people say, well, that's because he's Catholic, right? You know, well, that's because he's Catholic. You know, no, they don't, you know, it's, it's an anti-Christ religion. That's, it's because he's Catholic. And you can only do that when someone's in, in a minority group. Because when you're in the majority, you're an individual. So you see a bunch of white teenagers walking down the street being stupid. You're like, oh, teenagers. Or, oh, that kid. You see a bunch of black teenagers, you're going to say, oh, you know, they're just hurting themselves and their cause or whatever, like, patronizing thing we say. I don't know. I really actually had some funny topics to talk about, too. I got nothing. I just, I, I think that the church could do a better job of reaching out. Like, like another example to me of this whole, like, this is why I'm a systematic racism is a real thing, or just the sheer lack of black Catholics. In our friend groups, in our schools, and everything, you know, it's um, it's a, it's it's appalling if you really stop and think about it. <laughs> when we do the Colby prison retreats, right? So a third's white, third's black, third's Latino, with a rounding error for Asians, and uh, we're all there in this. And one of our priests is uh, he's from Africa, and the one of the first questions the men will say, the African American men will say, is how come there are no blacks here? And I'm like, uh, that guy couldn't make it. <laughs> you know, like, you're right. Like, there's so few. But then the follow comment was when they see, a, a, like, an African priest. Number one, he's African. There is this element in, for a lot of black men in prison, like, that is something unique. Like, he's not, he wasn't brought over here 400 years ago against his will, right? This is a guy who left his own country, and he, he's tied to the old country. It's like when I meet an Irishman, right? Like, oh, you're tied to the old country. And uh, oh, I better get my cell phone ready. It's almost ten o'clock. Or if um, I or if um, I meet all you know of the German Irish people that are, uh, all three of you, yeah, like my <laughs> wife Rothkopf, yeah, my um, crowd, but Mick no, so friend. The, <laughs> when the when the guy, uh, you crowd Mick, um, when the guy walked in, uh, my, my when my associate pastor walked in, I, I would say about five five guys were like, oh my gosh. He's a priest and he's black. Can can I get a picture with him? My mom is never going to believe this. And they would do it. They would all like stand with him. And there's like a group photo of them all standing with him because they had never, ever heard of that or seen it, you know? And it's, that's the type of stuff that I don't think about. Or when Icondolo said, you know, he was in the, uh, was he in the Virgin Islands? He was with his wife, his now wife and their friends. And he's like, at one point he just disappeared from the crowd because, from his group of fellow travelers, because for the first time he wasn't out of place. They were. Right? I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? I yeah. thought that was I, I can't remember yeah. where he said they were. They were in the in the Bahamas or something. And he was like, I just ditched everyone for like six hours. People were like, Where are you? And I'm like, I'm cool. Just leave me alone. Yeah. No, I just think like now is the time for hard questions and hard and like hard 
tons of decisions because the worst thing that we can possibly do with all this is nothing. Yeah. Like, if all you're doing for this is praying, um, that's not the gospel that we believe. Christ calls us to give up our possessions to, like, comfort of the sick, to get uncomfortable, to give up at times everything that we have. You know, like, if it means, like, I, I'm honestly at a point now where I'm like, listen, if reparations, if that's what we've got to do to try to make this better, then let's just freaking do it. Yeah. Like, if we've got to die to ourselves and if we if we have to suffer a bit to make this wrong right, then let's start having these conversations. I mean, that's an extreme example, but I don't, I don't know how, because I, I, I don't even know if we can actually afford to do, I don't know if there's enough money to do that. So what is the response of the church? Like, I, I mean, I started to say this and I got totally sidetracked because I'm an idiot, but when you said, if, if your uncle, you know, starts spouting off racist views, you got to treat it as if your uncle's talking about his pornography. Like if 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 someone sat down in my house and was like, "Oh man, you should have seen the the hooters on this woman I was checking out last night. It was amazing." I would kick them out of my house. I'm not going to have that around my kids, you know. Um, you know, my my wife has had to have some educational moments <laughs> with with certain people um, in our lives that the racist stuff, like even the little jokey jokey stuff, yep. like. It's got to go. Got to go. It's it has go. to stop. It has to stop. It has to go. And the jokes are there to ease the tension. That's why they're supposed to be there. That's why Daniel Tosh can make those jokes like, oh, you don't eat white people. I don't make the rules. And, you know, funny stuff like that. That's there because he's playing with the tension. The problem then becomes when the jokes are at the expense, right? That's yeah. when it becomes a totally different, you know, different thing yeah so. I, I i think yeah like it i think it completely um you know if you if you are a youth minister and if a person makes a joke um you know i, I was talking with i was talking to, oh the buddy of mine who's black and he was saying that uh he was at this one on the youth group event and this kid this kid like i'm race dominating and you know um and my buddy won, and he said, you know, and uh, the kid said, the only reason why you won is because you have a, you know, like you have an extra muscle in your leg or something. And they, and like him and the other youth minister were like, what? Like, that's not funny. Like, that's not funny. You don't, like, don't say crap like that. That's racist. Like, that's, that's bad. And like calling people out, like, we, like, we, we do it, we do it with other stuff all the time with the way that like teens talk or, you know, like, we, like, all the time, um, I think we we I I just don't believe that the American Catholic Church actually views on racism for how bad it is because I think we think um racism means lynching mm -hmm. or it means like segregation and we don't have that anymore in the way that I'm um, used to be where like we would just like I'm um, round up like some black person that people um, didn't like and then kill him. Um, we yeah. don't do that anymore. Go us, I guess. You know, like, and um, but it's but solved. then you have, yeah. But then you have the woman. I mean, the the woman in Central Park has unnerved me in so many ways. Right? The what was her name? Cooper. I I, um, I know what you're talking about though. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did uh, watch watch that um video. And the fact that she the the whole thing was 
She knew exactly what and how to say to the police. And thank God he had his camera, right? There is an African-American man. I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. And my... I'm sorry, I can't hear you either. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. Her false report to 911 didn't get the response she was hoping for. Right, like imagine him not uh, not having that camera, and then the cops show up. And my wife's friend said that she was at a park. You know, this is the same woman who gets pulled over, and the police ask if she's okay just because she's with her husband. Uh, she said that they were at a park one day, and it was all these moms with all their kids, and you know their kids are all playing together somewhere, and the moms are gathered, and the african-american mom is talking to her daughter and her daughter had done something like pushed a kid or something and so she's disciplining her and then uh the police officer comes up and walks right up to that woman and just starts berating her and this woman my my wife's friend berates the cop and chases the cop away okay whatever and she's recounting this story to her husband like can you believe this happened and the husband's like he's like shaking you said what to a police officer? He's like, if I said that, I'd be in handcuffs right now. Like, you just, okay, whatever, sorry, done. Clearly, I'm not a threat. I'm out of here. He's like, are you kidding me? You, you berated a police officer in public? He's like, I could never get away with that. Are you serious? You know, And it's stuff like that that yeah. I would never think about. I just got a text, um, and I think I remember the story now and the why I totally forgot about it. Um, uh this is my mom who said that um, when she went to visit her aunt, her visit her aunt and uncle, I don't know where this would have been. Like, I guess maybe down in Florida or something. I don't know where she was going, but um, they, uh, sh- uh, she was with her like black friend and they, and they had um, segregated fountains. Ooh. And my mom was just like, what? Uh, and she hasn't gone back. How, how is that happening? Your mom is only 41 years old. I know. Right. Patty, you uh, you have the um, you've been hanging out with uh, oh gosh, what's his name from Harry Potter? Um, Nick Flamel. My mom's been hanging out with I'm Nicholas with I'm Nicholas Flamel. It was a night. It was a night. It was 1964. Oh, she what? That was such a funny joke. That, Thank like, you. Two people got. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> proud of myself. Uh, it was a 1964. She spent the month of August with oh. This is with my this is I'm with my uncle with her with like her and um and like um, my great great uncle Don and um his German wife probably was um out of Texas or something. So so good job, Texas. Uh, um yeah, I welcome. just I just like I'm begging like why oh, this, this is the last thing I I I'm I'm going to talk about this. This is what I this is what I want to do. I don't know how I'm gonna do this yet. When we were in Atlanta for Joey Ruth's wedding, me and uh, a certain person, another certain person, we got there about an hour, like an hour like early. And we said, hey, that's just enough time to go and buy a pack of a thing. And we said, let's go and buy this pack of gum. So we, we go if from the will. cathedral downtown, like down, like down, like downtown Atlanta, we take like a left and you know we are in a neighborhood where uh, we are not the predominant race there, and I was like, "Oh, this is a little uncomfortable." And you know, some people are staring at us. 
most people don't 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 care. But like the culture of the area was just different. I remember there were speakers outside of like every store and the way that people talked and just like, you know, the cadence of the street was unfamiliar to me and it was a little uncomfortable. And I felt so bad about that. I was so mad at myself that that's what that that's what that was like. And I th- I would like to get to a point where if I were to experience that again, that I would not be buying a pack of gum because I don't chew gum any any more. Um, I would not be uncomfortable with that. That's what I would like to. That's what I would like to get to. I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Tomorrow we're talking about it, or in two days we're talking about it as a parish podcast that we do called Beyond the Bulletin. And we're having uh, uh, one of our seminarians to talk about what it's like being black Catholic and pursuing the priesthood and uh, what, what does that look like in Houston. And so I'm excited. His name is Houston as well. I'm excited to do that because I think, but I'm terrified to do it. Like my first thing was, oh gosh. We're just a stupid, like, we aren't the people that should be having this conversation, uh, me and Stephen Linehan. Like, that's not, like, a thing. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm excited. Well, I am excited. this is why there are other people that I would like to talk with about this. I, I, like, one thing that we can do is, um, and I would like to continue to talk about this on the podcast. I would like to bring in different people. Like, I don't want to do where it's like, oh, crap, it happened again. Ike, come and tell us how, like, we should all feel. And I, w- I, would, lo- I would love I to, I would love like, to have Ike on again. But that's, a, like, that's the problem is it's like, yeah. I can, you know, Greg, you know, like, <laughs> like, which, like. Right, like, you say, and you second guess doing it because then you feel like, well, I'm just using them. Yeah, and I feel For ter- the sake yeah. of this national tragedy. It's like when me and you, what were we talking about? And you were like, well, I don't want to feel like we're exploiting this woman. Oh, it was a woman who threw Catching Foxes, stepped away from her longtime lesbian relationship. And she said, you know, listening to us made her feel like she wasn't going crazy, which is weird because usually people say the other thing. Um uh, and they're screaming at their podcast player of choice. But she just said that. And I was like, I, I, I said, you know, Luke, we should have her on the show to talk about this. And you were like, I don't want to exploit this woman. And it's true. It's true. Like, the only time we ever have these conversations is when someone's throwing a Molotov cocktail. And that's a damn shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're too late at that point. When, when, when you know, the streets are on fire, it's too late at that point. And I think it's so. two white Catholics who, for whatever reason, have a very small, small um, voice. Oh, voice. I didn't know what you were going to say. <laughs> Come on. Give Dutch me some credit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I wanted, I was like, you know what? Like, we can do something. Like, we can just have a, you know, and so we can, and I, I that's why I, I wanted it to be more about, um, you know, not exploiting our friends or anything. Well, I, well, I value what they say, and I've really appreciated the stuff that like Ike has, that Ike has put out, and what Greg said, and what uh, there's other person I forget her name. I'm so sorry. She had some really great stuff on um, a couple of she had some great on uh, Facebook Live on those videos. I'm forgetting her um, name. A couple of weeks ago, that were just fantastic. I would like to talk to her more yeah. uh, more about it. Um, I just um, if the conversation dies with us as um, as white Catholics. It's going to die within the Catholic Church, and it's going to be left to, like I, th- I think like one reason too why it's tough for like a lot of um Catholics are the like the Catholics who do care 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 about it are kind of annoying, 
You know, like they're, you know, they're pro-choice or they don't care about certain teachings or they, you know, like there's just, there's kind of like, they're not in our camp and there are good reasons for that at times, I would say. Yeah. And I I don't like, this not like, this isn't their conversation. It's our, 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 like our, the entire church's um, conversation to have. And I think it's important that we continue to talk about this, and I think one thing that we can do is we can elevate um, racism to the level of pornography, abortion, though, because they're all systematic of the same thing, ultimately, which is like our sinfulness. But yeah. there's a real connection to yeah, a cultural a cultural devaluing of personal dignity. Exactly. It, sh- it, sh- it should like it should surprise someone like. It should surprise like no one in that we have racism and we also have abortion. And I don't think abortion I'm led to race. I think they are they are a symptom of the of like the same thing. Mm-hmm. In part. So Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, and pornography. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I yes, love that yeah, analogy because yeah. I think I think we really do. We have to treat it like a a mortal sin that's socially acceptable in certain crowds and not with other crowds. You know, um, yeah, I think that I think that that phrase you said if my uncle was talking about his pornography business, I would kick him out of my house and I would never even think twice about it except to feel bad for the guy and angry at the guy and you know whatever. And you know, I've never heard but then the other problem is right is overt racism like we were talking about. The problem is the covert, the sub the subtle texts. The well, you know, oh, Obama is so well spoken, and if you know, and the white guilt thing, and the the get out, right? You know, I would have voted for him twice. I voted for Obama twice. Like you have all of these like layers of, um, of subtlety in the ways that we dismiss people. Yeah, right. You have all of these layers of subtlety, and it isn't until you find these stories of uh, white men and white women who marry into African American marriages who discover like oh crap this is what it's really like and i can't like i can't just dismiss this and ignore this and walk away from this this is like how my kids are going to be treated and all that yeah. stuff so here's a story absolutely um i just i i just wanted to share this um i just got this uh text like from my mom she said she was down in the south and um she was playing at the park with uh, with her black friend, she was about eight. They were tired, and they wanted to go get. They wanted to uh, go get water, and my mom was trying to get her to go to this um, water fountain. And this like girl, eight, goes, "I can't drink water out of there." And uh, and and like, uh, my mom was just horrified because she's like, "What? Like, why can't yeah. you drink?" You know. And then her aunt had to kind of explain that. Um, Oh, that's right. I remember the story now. I'm a terrible. I'm a terrible. I'm a son. I forgot. I I totally remember this now. You're a t- you are a terrible son, but I'm, you know what? You're a good dinosaur. That's true. You are the good, good dinosaur. dinosaur. I'm about to be a good good father. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, <laughs> she said her. So then her aunt, and this is kind of cool because her um, aunt was German. Um, we tried to explain to her like you know like so this is why, and she actually she actually took my mom to an to an all black church and um she said she was t- she was you know totally welcome there and just to see like you know this is there is a group here like you need to understand like what's kind of what's kind of um going on here and my mom said that it was awesome so there so there's a guy in the protestant world his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he was a a lutheran he ended up starting 
don't know if he started the church, but whatever. He, he died of free church something. And it was during the Nazi um, rise to power. And he was in Rome at Easter, and he went to Mass at St. Peter's Basilica. And even though he wasn't Catholic, right? So he goes to Mass at St. Peter's for Easter, and he said it was at that moment where he saw people from literally all over the world in one church that he realized, like, he had to he had to become a missionary for the gospel, Right. I can't remember the the name of his book that I'm that it was written in the in the preface to the book, and um, it's one of his most famous famous ones. Dang it, this ticks me off that I can't remember because as soon as we hang up, I'm going to remember it. But um, in that, it, like that's what started him was going to mass at a Catholic church at the Catholic church, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and seeing the multi ethnic, multicultural hues looking around and being like, oh wow that he saw the universality of the church. Now he was a Lutheran and he ends up doing this free church thing, but he ends up dying trying to destroy the Nazi regime. He was a part of a plot. He was eventually arrested and killed. He wrote some stuff while he was in prison, but his whole thing was like, like a thing that ends with him targeting Hitler for, for assassination all began witnessing the diversity of the church in the right way. Right, sitting there and seeing every face, every tongue, professing the glory of Christ. And when I go to the prisons, I say this quote. I do this thing called Glorify, where 400 men come together, and I just do like two sermons, and then we do praise and worship music. And and it's something that and everyone who would call themselves a Christian could could kind of go along with life application stories type stuff. And uh, I always use this quote. I said, "Isn't it great that we're all here together?" I said, isn't it sad that, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the most segregated place in America is her churches? And, uh, and I said, and I'm happy to be a part of this church, of the people of God here. And everyone, you know, everyone applauds. You know? And you got people with Nazi tattoos on their neck and face and head who, because of their conversion to Christ, knew it meant they had to leave that former way of thinking behind. Right. And yet we don't on the outside because it's all nuanced and it's all blended and it's all graded. And there's a thousand different ways out of this. Right. Like uh, different ways, different stories that people invent. Yeah. Propaganda saying that great line. Um, it's kind of provocative where he said um, equality looks like war when you're the one who's rich. Right. When you're the one with privilege, the, the drive for equality looks like I'm going to take rip everything apart. It looks like the Soviet revolution, right? It looks like the Bolsheviks are coming and you're an aristocrat. But the, the problem is something's got to give or else the Marxists are correct. There is just war. It's just race wars and gender wars. And there's never going to be anything different until we're all same. And I don't think that's why Christ died and rose. I really don't. That's that's that is beautiful. Can you imagine like being like so? Think about all the childhood baggage that like we have for the stuff that like happened to us, and that you know everyone has. Could you imagine part of your baggage being that the culture that you live in said you're not good enough to drink out of this water fountain? Right, right. And you know the thing that catalyzed Martin Luther King Jr. was his daughter was watching an ad for a water park in their hometown or 
somewhere nearby, and she's like, Daddy, can we go? Can we go? And then it ended with whites only. And he was like, my daughter can't even go to a water park, can't even go down a slide, can't, can't go in a pool because it's going to ruin your life. You know? And you see those pictures of you know, the, the first black child in a public school, right, you know, where they, they start busting and doing all that stuff. And the parents there are just screaming at children. At children. We don't understand that. But I think we have to figure out how. Like, do a Ignatian composition a place and say, how can I be that? Because that's in me. How can, how can I identify with that? Like, Jordan Peterson says it all the time. The moment you don't understand the Nazis because they're so deplorable, he's like, you have to figure out a mental way to put yourself in the shoes of the soldier and then say, there before the grace of God go I. Like, I, I could do this. I don't know how, what, what series of horrific things would mm-hmm. it take for me to end up with a gun in my hand, you know, aiming at the back of a head of a Jewish mom just because she's Jewish. Well, and I, you know, so. And that takes a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding. Like, there's, like, one of the, one of the hard, like, probably the only issue I have with rap, with, you know, rap music is I don't understand their references. You know, like I just don't I don't I don't know what they're referring to or some of 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 the phrases or the metaphors. I'm like I don't like oh this means something completely different than what I thought. You know, like Killer Mike has this thing where he's you know he talks about like wanting to like kill police, but then his dad's a cop. And I'm like, does so I'm, I'm like, well, okay, well, like what does he actually mean by that? Like, like what is, is he does he actually mean I want to kill police i don't think that's what he's talking about and when you look at the bigger thing you go oh, okay now i see it but i didn't really understand like the broader con now and and now you might not like that I'm, I'm just saying this is just this is just an example of that that like there is um things that like we hear and um, we see that because of the cultural um, the differences between between whites and blacks. And I don't even know if this is necessarily a privileged thing. It might be. I, I don't know. Um, we just aren't going to... We, we think it means one thing when it means something else. And I think I... And I, I just... I'm, I, I want to challenge on myself to, you know... I don't, I don't want empathy to just be what I feel. I want it to be like what I understand and what I see and what I, and what I know. Like I, I want it to lead ultimately to wisdom not just to feeling sorry for other um people